this morning is going to be um, one of those mornings that um, we're going to trek through together. Going to do it a little bit different than I normally do. Usually I'm super, super expositional where we just take one passage and break it apart. But today it's going to be a little bit more topical. I'm sure you've already read the title and gone, ooh. So um, as we work through this, you know, you might get your toes stepped on, but hopefully you will see it as I'm stepping on. Well, first I stepped on my own toes all week. Welcome. Um, but view it more as I'm stomping on the black widow that's creeping up your foot. So it's to help, not to harm. Okay? Okay. So also as we move through is we are going to be focusing on towards a husband, but if you don't have a husband currently, think of either the past or replace the word husband with adult child, close friend, parent, or other close relative when you're thinking about, am I a contentious woman? So now I have every confidence that each one of you wants to be helpful. But we struggle with crossing the line from being helpful to being harmful, of being a helpmeet to being a controller. We love going, here, let me help you with that. And then when they try to take it back, you go, no, I'm still fixing it. You feel as though if you don't take control, well then, nothing's ever going to get done. Also, know that the things we are going to cover are said in a spirit of, of truth in love. These are hard things to hear, but so very necessary for our souls. I prayed all the way here, God, please can not cry today. <laughs> and then I was going, okay, not my will, but you'll be done. Because <laughs> I knew it was probably going to happen. <laughs> okay. But we're going to fight through it together. This is so very necessary for... Oh, I love you. Thank you. Might as well just leave the box, babe. (laughs) Excuse my mess. (laughs) All right. So... This is so very necessary for our souls in order to be pleasing to God. I am not one who has conquered, but is working right alongside you. So please don't hear condemning, hear encouraging. Come with me. I am struggling, but I'm struggling to struggle well. I am struggling to be one pleasing to God. As I was working through this, I was like, oh, I'm... I've improved here, I've improved there, yay. You know, so kind of felt a little bit good about myself. And then as I'm working through, and then my buddy William Googe, who's a Puritan, uh, started talking to me, and I'm like, never mind. I'm not doing so great. So, but that is the deceitfulness of this sin, y'all, where it, it, you, you start out so good. I'm just trying to be helpful. That's all I'm trying to do. And then that line gets crossed. And now you're ugly and spiteful and sharp and bleh towards your husband or towards your children or towards your friends. And then you sit there and go, 
okay, this is not what I mentioned in my head. This is not what I wanted to happen. How did I get here? So hopefully as we work through this, it will help you find your line. Okay, where did I cross over? Because are we to be helpful? Yes, we're called to be helpers, helpmates for our husband. But we're not called to control. So as we work through this together, um, just please know this is, out of love, and also a lot of these verses, my echo of, I think we've done that, heard this from Rachel before, and that's because I read some of these verses last semester when we were working through Blessed Are the Peacemakers, and I got a lot of kickback, and even as I was using them as my cross-references, I was like, ooh, I need to marinate a little bit longer right here. So that's what this morning is. So since... The sin of being contentious can be very deceitful because of our own blind pride and our own declaration of how we are right in a situation. It's helpful to stop and take notice of our responses and actions. So we're going to take a pop quiz. Are you ready? I want you to flip over your outlines. No one looking around. I want you to take tally marks. I'm going to ask you a question. If it is you, describes you, or even gets kind of close, I want you to go ahead and mark a tally mark, okay? (laughs) I already had to do it, Andrea. I'm just bringing you with me, babe, bringing you with me. (laughs) Remember, sisters stick together. We encourage a lot. Um, But everybody keep your eyes on your own paper. Now, like, well, she's got a lot of tally marks over there. Okay, okay. very first one is a yes or no question, so it's not a tally mark. It's a, it's a question. Do you think you are a contentious woman? Yes or no? This is just for you and the Lord. If you need to qualify, you, you can qualify. Oh, we will later, babe. We will later, but I don't want to steal the fun before we get there. All right, are you ready? And some of these are meant to be a little more tongue-in-cheek. Okay, do you feel that it is your duty to remind your husband that it is time to mow the lawn, take out the trash, wash the car, fill in the blank? Let me read that again. Do you feel that it is your duty to remind your husband that it is time to mow the lawn, take out the trash, wash the car, or fill in the blank with another task? If you feel like that's you, give yourself a telling mark. Number two, are you convinced that if you tell your husband often enough that it is important for him to spend more time with the children, he will do just that? Are you convinced that if you tell your husband often enough it's important for him to spend more time with the children, will he do just that? Number three, does the thought of asking your husband to complete a task just one time And then waiting until he gets ready to do it make you feel anxious and frustrated. Are you guys, do you want me to repeat it? Okay. Does the thought of asking your husband to complete a task just one time and then waiting until he gets ready to do it make you feel anxious and frustrated? 
Do, number four, do you frequently correct your husband in front of others? Do you frequently correct your husband in front of others? Number five, do you challenge his parenting in front of the children? Even and especially when you don't agree with him. Do you challenge his parenting in front of the children, even and especially when you don't agree with them? If you do not have children yet, think of challenging him in front of friends, in front of other relatives. Number six, can you list three bad points about your husband's personality quickly right now? Boom, boom, boom. Is it on the tip of your tongue and mind, always ready to be shared, even if you're just talking to yourself. I'll read it again. Can you list three bad points about your husband's personality quickly right now? Is it on the tip of your tongue and mind, always ready to be shared, even if you're just talking to yourself? Number seven, in the last 24 hours, have you begun a conversation with your husband by saying one of the following? You don't ever... If you would just, or I already told you. So in the last, think over the last 24 hours. Aren't you glad it's just 24? (laughs) Have you begun a conversation with your husband by saying one of the following? You don't ever, if you would just, or I already told you. Number eight. When your husband doesn't respond to a request just the way you want or when you want, do you withhold intimacy or companionship, giving a shoulder colder as a form of manipulation? When your husband does not respond to a request just the way you want or when you want, do you withhold intimacy or companionship, giving that cold shoulder as a form of manipulation? Number nine, when your husband sees you coming, does his expression change to one of fear and or withdrawal? (laughs) So does anybody need that one repeated? We good to go. Okay. (laughs) Number 10, do you see yourself as the unappreciated, overburdened wife of a grumpy, difficult, selfish beast of a man? Do you see yourself as the unappreciated, overburdened wife of a grumpy, difficult, selfish beast of a man? Number 11, do you own a coffee mug or a t-shirt that identifies you as she who must be obeyed? Let that one sink in. Or should you have one of those? Do you own a coffee mug or a t-shirt that identifies you as she who must be obeyed? One last one. No, we got a few more. Sorry. Good last count. Number 12. Do you spend most of your time so focused and so busy with other projects that you forget that you had a spouse? Your husband, on the other hand, has retreated to the corner of the roof, which translates in modern day to his workplace, the golf course, or his fishing boat. Do you spend so much of your time so focused and so busy with other projects that you kind of forget about your spouse? And your husband has retreated. Number 13, do you tend to have a sharp tongue when you give your opinion? This one killed me. 
You struggle speaking with gracious words. Number 14, are you ready? Have you already stated in your own head sometime during this quiz, what about the man? Isn't he responsible? Or something to that effect. Have you already stated in your own head sometimes during this quiz, what about him? Isn't he responsible? And number 15, as you left your husband today, could your last encounter with him best be described as A, warm and loving, or B, casual and cold? As you left your husband today, obviously you get a tick mark if you have casual and cold. You do not have to put a tick mark if it was warm and loving. So as you left your hubby today, could you, your last encounter with him be described as warm and loving or cold and casual? All right, we'll stop the torture there. So very quietly, just kind of look over your tick marks. Now, the gal I got some of those questions from, she did like this. If you had this many, you know, you're doing pretty good. And if you had this many, watch out. And you have this. I'm not going to do that. Because if you have any, then you need to repent of the tally marks you had. And we need to root it out of our heart. So, this morning, we're going to take a walk through Proverbs to help us wrap our minds, and then we'll end up in the, Old Te- in the New Testament. So we're going to take a walk through Proverbs to help us wrap our minds around what it means to be an angry, contentious woman. Ladies, this is not a popular topic. I went to Sermon Audio fresh, ready to hear, wanting input. What does this mean? What is it? Because a lot of your verses on the contentious woman, it says what it's like to have one, But it doesn't necessarily like break it down. What is she? There's a deplorable lack of teaching on the contentious woman. And I think these poor sweet pastors are literally just not wanting to touch that one. So, and there were several, I had to turn it off. There were so many articles that I was like, that is not what that verse means. Or there was... um, a couple of different gentlemen that are on Sermon Audio. I wasn't aware of them. I was just pulling anybody. Like all my regulars, I couldn't find anything. And it was probably user error. But I couldn't find anything on those particular verses. So I was going to guys I didn't really know. I found one. And all of the thousands upon thousands on Sermon Audio, I found his name's Carl in Oregon. And I praise God for Carl. <laughs> He said some great things, but I was like, praise God, there's one pastor out here saying really good things. So I I found another one. He was good, but he wasn't as helpful as Carl. So, um, so yay for Carl. So ladies, this morning we'll have three thoughts as we walk through. We'll have warnings to the wise, a disturbing description, and a delightful difference. But first, we need to seriously consider number one, warnings to the wise, warnings to the wise. We're going to look at two different proverbs that each have a comparison for us. Each paint a little more of the picture of what our life will be like if we are a wise woman or if we continue in our contentious ways. So A on your outlines. So we're doing comparisons. Are you going to be a crown? Or decay. 
Are you going to be a crown or decay? So open up in your Bibles. Get your fingers ready. We're going to do it a lot today. Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. And we're going to read verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. So that word crown, we're just going to like briefly talk about each verse and keep on running because we got to truck on through Proverbs. So, but that excellent wife, she's the crown of her husband. Crown signifies the figure of honor. She's an honor to her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. Our friend Noah Webster says shame is a painful sensation excited by something that injures reputation. Shame is particularly excited by, excited meaning not yay, but excited by dredging up, by the disclosure of actions which are mean and degrading. So basically shame comes from somebody being mean and degrading. Hence, it is often or always manifested by a downward look or by blushes. So are we women that are the crown of her husband? We lift him up, we bring him honor? Or are we women who shame him where his, his eyes are on the floor and he's blushing because of the way we are treating him? That word rottenness, the rottenness in his bones, means decay. It's often used of rotting wood. So um, one of the commentaries said, as the decay progresses, this husband is slowly but continuously undermined in his inward happiness and outward usefulness. So ladies, marriage is not a light matter. The wife either makes or breaks a man in his home and in his community. So if we are to be wise, we are to stop and think, how am I treating my husband? Am I bringing him honor or am I shaming him? And especially shaming him in front of other people. Am I being mean and degrading? Be on your outlines. Are you going to build up or tear down? This one has been one of my particular favorites in stepping on my own toes. Are you going to build up or tear down? Flip a couple pages over to Proverbs 14.1. Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Again, the commentary I was looking at said the wise woman contributes to and regulates the material and spiritual well-being of the household. So as we consider, am I contributing to the well-being of my household, both by the work of my hands, but also the attitude of my heart? What am I doing? How am I treating my husband? How am I treating my children? How am I interacting with my friends? Am I tearing up? Tearing up. Building up or tearing down. 
So I found one thing, too. This is another little pop quiz. You don't have to do tally marks this time. But just very poignant article that I ran into that the way that she put some of these things was very helpful to me. There were some of those zingers. She's going to step on your toes, but hopefully it's for the black widow in love, not to hurt. So, but um, these are also a little bit tongue in cheek. So we will chuckle because we're chuckling at ourselves. We see ourselves in these, but don't let it take away the severity of the sin that it's describing. So the Christian, she says, the Christian walk is never static. And the truth is that your marriage is either being built up or broken down. Blessing or cursing, it's either or. I want to mention several ways that we women tear down our husbands without knowing it. Most of this is written satirically, of course, because nobody could actually be this bad, right? As I read through them, just kind of keep, keep count in your head how many of these may apply to you. So she has 12 ways we tear down our husband without even knowing it. Number one, we criticize and critique his work. Whatever he does, it's rarely done right and is never enough. Thankfully, we are here to check on him. Sure, he dreads your questioning. You can tell by his short one-word answers and avoidance tactics, like reading the paper or checking his phone, but you don't care. You're keeping tabs on this guy to make sure he does what he's supposed to. You're awesome like that. Number two, we give helpful insight. Since he seems to have forgotten about the chipping paint or the leaky faucet, you post a helpful list on the fridge in order, with a timetable. In ministry, you're quick to give your own two cents about what he should say to whom, when he should say it, and threaten him that if he doesn't act, you will. You want him to check back with you, in with you afterwards, so you can approve of his performance. Insert eye roll. Number three, we complicate his work by failing to do our own. We are so busy overseeing him that we neglected to do our own work. Silly us, no matter. He's a big boy and should expect some consequences. He has two arms and two legs. If he can pick up the remote, he can certainly work the iron, is often what we tell ourselves. Number four, we fail to say I'm sorry and keep clean accounts. When was the last time you said you're sorry. It should have been the last time you sinned against him. But we think, no matter, unless he really seems upset or hurt, we won't bother apologizing. He'll just get over it. Number five, we belittle him for all the ways he fails to meet our high expectations. Of course, we don't call them high. We call them normal but he fails to meet our expectations. We tell him he should have folded the towel that way. We scold when he leaves his socks on the floor. We give him lots of opinions about how to handle the kids. We snicker to our friends and broadcast it on Facebook or Instagram. We're really classy like that sometimes, right? Number six, we use explosive hormones as an excuse for ungodly speech moodiness and accusations, leaving him to believe he's hopeless to ever understand us. Now, ladies, hormones are real. They are. 
but they are not a biblical exception for sin. And I think you know that. Sin is sin, whether the hormones are crazy or not. Hormones serve to show what's in the corners of our hearts. Since hormones make us feel upset and unsettled, it's a good time to get a glimpse into the recesses of our hearts by what we say. It's probably one of our biggest blind spots. Number seven, we sabotage his efforts by our actions. If we don't like his decisions, we go around them. We find a loophole. We let our kids wear this when dad's not around because he's so old school. We think, ah, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. Number eight, we speak before we think and we speak our whole mind. That's just one of those things we struggle with. We think, we blurt whatever comes into our minds. Oopsie. Oh, he'll be fine. He's a man, not a turtle with no shell. Number nine, we fail in our marital intimacy. If we don't feel loved, he can forget it, we think. We withhold. Have you thought that one through? What's a godly guy supposed to do when his wife won't? You don't cause him to sin, but you're attempting him by neglect. Number 10, we steal his good name. Instead of being known in the gates, he's known as that guy with the battering ram wife or the poor guy who has to deal with her. Or we complain about him to our girlfriends or really anyone who will listen. Or worse, we complain to our mother. Number 11, we fail to be his friend. Most guys just want to see their wife happy. They want a side-by-side life friend. So they marry their best friend, or at least that's what he thought. Number 12, we fail to love him with a 1 Corinthians 13 love. We tried to love him. We think we really did, but now all we're left with is our list. Our list of all the years of hurt and failures and disappointments. And today's hurt is not a singular incident. It's all connected to the long string of other offenses. And we have the ability to produce that list at an alarming rate. A split second, and it really can be rolling off our tongues. We're excellent memorizers like that sometimes, aren't we? So, ladies, that is a tongue-in-cheek way to think of the different ways one can tear her house down with her own hands. Did any of that sound familiar? So with those warnings to the wise of whether you are going to be a crown or decay, or whether you're going to build up or tear down, we're now going to move forward to see number two, a disturbing description. A disturbing description. So we're going to look at a few different verses that do not give a very pretty picture if we succumb continually to being contentious. A on your outlines, her contention makes deprivation preferable. This one's so, so sad. Her contention makes deprivation preferable. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 21.9. Proverbs 21.9. 
Now, this is also repeated again. Solomon emphasizes it again in 25, 24. There's only a slight difference. I think an A becomes a the in that one, but I'm just going to read 21.9. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now, too, it's always good to think context. Who's writing? Who is he writing to? It helps us as we think through these scriptures. So who is the writer of most of Proverbs? Solomon. And who is he saying it to? His son. He is trying to impart wisdom to his son. And this is one of his warnings. But ladies, it's a warning to us. We don't want to be this contentious woman. We don't want our husbands to desire living in the corner roof of a roof than a house shared with a contentious woman. So, Andrea, here we go. Here's your definition. You ready? Contentious means strife, quarrelsome. Noel Webster defines it as given to angry debate. And again, quarrelsome isn't a word that we use a ton. So again, we go to Noah and he tells us apt to quarrel. Okay. He also says given to brawls and contention, inclined to petty fighting, easily irritated or provoked to contest. And one of the lexicons, it also defined it as bitter conflict, heated and often violent dissension. So basically, you're, you are broken apart, that contentious, you are easily irritated, you're easily provoked, that, that slow burn anger is just under the surface and one little poke, there it is. So are you chasing people away with the words of your mouth, with the attitude of your heart? Do you have that slow burn anger that's, that's right there under the surface? And maybe you don't have it er everywhere in your life, but man, if he pokes that one area, such a sore spot, and it's right there. He pokes it one time and whoo! And you might not even, maybe your personality is not one to throw things out, but it's inside and you're seething. How dare he touch my sore spot? He knows that's a sore spot. He's doing it on purpose, right? And yet we don't consider ourselves. We sit there and cast the blame on him and don't say, I have an area of anger. And this is, this is sinful anger. This is not righteous anger. We're not offended because God is offended. We're offended because we're offended, right? So that slow burn continues and continues that anger is close to the service so that your husband, your child, your friend has to say one thing and it starts seeping out. Something that has been very helpful to me on dealing with my own anger is Lou Priolo. He has a book called The Heart of Anger. It is for children. I started reading it thinking I needed help with my son and then I stopped reading it for my son and started reading it for me. So, um, very helpful. He has one for teens that's called um, Don't Lose Your Cool. I actually like that one even better, if it could even get better. But he also talks about communication as we're communicating to each other. When we have anger, we have two different directions we usually go. 
and he uses little visuals that I find particularly helpful. He said, you either clam up or you volcano. So usually you're a mix of two. You can clam up until you volcano, or you can volcano and then clam up, but you're usually one of those. You tend towards one or the other. And it's just a good mental word picture of, okay, when I get angry, do I bottle it all up inside? This is those of us that were a little more, our thoughts stay inside us. So we see, then we think about it and we dwell on it and it just, we marinate our little souls in it and it just makes us so mad. But we comfort ourselves that, hey, it didn't come out my mouth. I didn't yell. So at least I'm better than that. Or your personality is more volcano. It, the usual anger we think about. But people who struggle with the volcano, they say, well, at least I'm not a hypocrite. You know what I'm thinking. You know where I'm at. I'm not holding a grudge. I'm letting it out. And we justify both sides, don't we? Both sides are sinful. Both sides need to be dealt with because it's anger in our heart that's the problem. So as we think through these things, am I a clam? And am I a volcano? Am I just a really ugly mess of them both? Think about the way you communicate when you're struggling with your anger. Peel those layers back. How do I go back? How do I deal with, I've got a problem, um, one thing I'll tell counselees if we're talking through, you know, a conflict and I'll, I'll say that conflict's like a fire. You got to do something, but you can either throw gasoline on it or you can throw water on it. What are you going to choose to do? You can bring calm, cooling, refreshing, re- refreshing water. Soft answer turns away wrath. Or you can feel really good about, your, good about yourself and throw some gasoline on that and just make that fire bigger. We have to carefully consider how am I responding to that outside pressure, outside influences, daily life. Okay, let's go to the next one. Proverbs 21.19. Proverbs 21.19 says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. So, ooh, we got a new word here to describe her. So that desert there, he's not talking about a cruise. He's not talking about a vacation. This poor man is choosing to go to a destitute wilderness rather than the comfort of his own home because of a contentious and vexing woman. I did find it interesting in the the Old Testament Hebrew there, woman really could be translated as different relationships. So it could have been mother. It could have been grandmother. It could have been um, wife. Wife is more the indication here, but it can be translated in those different relationships. So basically, just having that contentious and vexing woman at home is really difficult to deal with. So that word vexing there means vexation, and it particularly means of men, especially caused by unmerited treatment. So basically, treatment that's not deserved. The ESV uh, defines vexing as fretful, Or if you have a new King James, it literally just says angry. So living with a contentious and and angry woman. 
Vexing can also, just to kind of help us, it means provocation. It's unfriendly behavior that causes anger or resentment. So our unfriendly behavior is provoking them to anger and resentment. So again, how are we doing at home? How are we doing in our daily lives? Is our husband's coming home to somewhere where he's sheltered and feels welcomed and it's a refreshment to his soul? Or as he's walking up to the front door, is he putting on armor going, all right, here we go? Or even is he walking up to the front door going, I don't even know what I'm going to get today. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's not okay. I don't know. Open the door. What are our husbands coming home to? Be on your outlines. Her contention is an unending irritation. Her contention is an unending irritation. Now, I'm just going to read one little phrase for you, and then we'll turn to another um, verse together. Proverbs 19.13 says, The contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. So go ahead and go to Proverbs 27, 15 through 16. Proverbs 27, 15 through 16 says, A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. So ladies, it's, it's interesting and helpful to know the roofs back then were made from crisscross beams and sticks and then filled in with clay. So when it rained a lot, it was very, very prone to leaking. The water would seep through and start dripping. Um, I found it interesting, a old, old, I think it was Canaanite proverb. It was considered a very virtuous son who would go up and fix a leaking roof. Like that was the height of his, his virtue is that he would go up. He was a great son if he would go fix that leaking roof. But could you imagine if you lay, you've worked out in the fields all day, you're laying down, you're finally getting some rest and all of a sudden on your forehead, drip, drip, drip. And then it's not stopping raining outside. So it's not gonna stop dripping on the inside. So that constant, unending irritation, can you get comfortable when you're all cold and wet and it's constantly dripping on you? No. One article, it was funny, they, they were like, these women would be great torture devices for the military. So <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So the very place the husband should be able to go for shelter is the very place where there is irritating leaking and wind that cannot be restrained. And if any of you, can you go outside and hold that wind back? No, it's ludicrous. It can't happen. Are we being like that for our husbands? Or how about grasping oil? Anybody, can you grab some oil? You might get a shiny hand, but that's going to be all. Basically saying, you just can't even hold this woman back. You try, but it's, it's fruitless. You can't, it can't be done. So this man just has this constant irritation. He married her thinking, I'm getting a good thing, a gift from the Lord. This is great. And what do we end up being? Again, either we build up or we tear down. Which are we going to choose? 
So we have that, that very little bit discouraging description, but we have the, the hope of looking forward to number three, a delightful difference. A delightful difference. I want you to go ahead and turn in your scriptures to Proverbs 31. Don't worry, we're not going to read the whole thing, just a little bit of it. And just as a word of encouragement, if you get overwhelmed reading Proverbs 31, I'm going to point out a phrase that helps us know this is, this is her whole life. The Lord is giving a snapshot of the movie of her life, not just little sections. So we can work little bit by little bit by little bit on the different steps of this, okay? So I've heard lots of women who are like, I'll never be like the Proverbs 31 woman. Why am I even going to try? But yet the Lord lays it out. He is good. He is gracious. He's painted a picture for us, for us to know what is pleasing to him. So can we not at least try? Pick one thing, two things to concentrate on. And then as he allows and gives you time and wisdom, pick another thing then pick another thing. I happen to have a friend who's written a book that might be helpful. It's Yvonne. So ask her later if you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, so there's a delightful difference. Uh, Proverbs 31, we're just going to read 10 through 12. An excellent wife, who can find? For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So A on your outlines, the delightful difference is she does him good. And that specifically, ladies, is the phrase I have to catch on to when I start hearing my anger rising, it's starting to go off, that contention, so fast. Am I doing him good all of the days? And those are my days, all my days. Am I doing them good? So this passage has been very helpful to me, very convicting, and gave me a battle cry as I fought my own selfish and stubborn heart. I was always tempted to say, it's not fair. I have to do X, Y, Z. Well, he just gets to go on his merry way. I got so focused on what he wasn't doing that I wasn't grateful for all the things he was doing. It was too easy to say, well... I mean, he's supposed to do those things. But don't we like it when we're shown gratitude when we do our normal things? So as we're turning around, as we are looking at our life, we got to strip away that it's not fair and put in thank you. Thank you that I have a husband. Thank you that I have this relative. Thank you that I have this friend. Am I having you know, unmet expectations, unspoken unmet expectations that is causing this strife within my own soul. Strip those things away. Thank you, Lord, that you are Lord over all. I am your servant. So that phrase there down in verse 10, the her worth is far above jewels. She is precious because she uses her strength, ability, 
wisdom and valor so totally and selflessly for others. The phrase, the heart of her husband trusts in her. His well-being stands or falls on her reliability. This is somebody who's reliable. He can go to her. He can trust her. He knows she's doing what she's supposed to do. She does him good. That's my phrase. Good there. It's not, I need to fix him so he's good. This is, I need to work to benefit him. That word good means benefit. It also means valuable, that which is pleasing or valuable or useful. That needs to be me. I need to be valuable to him. Notice it does not say he spends his day telling her all day long how valuable and useful and great she is. She's not worried about that. She is solely focused on how can I benefit you? And then what's the duration? All the days of her life. Her commitment to her husband's well-being is true, not false, constant, not temperamental, reliable, not fickle, and discerning. So this isn't a, I'm having a good day, so therefore I'll be a good wife and I'll be for your good. But tomorrow, we'll see. No, he knows I'm going to get the same thing every day, every time. And again, what's the heart behind this? Because we fear the Lord. And and, and elsewhere, it is drawn out. She fears the Lord. Because she fears the Lord, she does him good all his days. She recognizes this is my husband that the Lord has provided for me. So therefore, I will work for his benefit. Okay, not only that, B, she pursues obedience. Obviously, we're at the end of Proverbs. Now we're going to jump over to 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, I know these passages are familiar, but it's the doing of them that sometimes is a little more difficult for us. 1 Peter chapter 3, and then letter B on your outlines, she pursues obedience. So 1 Peter 3, read, I'm going to do 1 and 2, and then we'll go on to 3 and 4. But 1 and 2 say, in the same way you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word, by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Now, again, we don't often use chaste. Chaste means pure or spotless. Your behavior is so winsome. It is so pure. Your motives are pure. You're not trying to manipulate. You're just trying to please the Lord in all you do, that you are a testimony to your husband Now, this verse is not just for those ladies that have disobedient. It's, that's the furthest extent. All wives are to be submissive to their husbands so that even if, so furthest all the way over, even if they're an unbeliever, they will be one without a word by your behavior. So that respectful behavior means reverential towards your own husband's. 
It's pure, as opposed to that noisy, ambitious character of worldly women or of the contentious woman. H.B. Charles said be submiss- that be submissive is be subject. It translates a military term that describes a soldier's submission to his commanding officer. That an officer outranks you does not mean he's inherently superior as a person. Likewise, submission does not mean husbands are better than their wives. God has ordered the home that the husband is the head and the wife is the heart. Anything without a head is dead. Anything with more than one head is a monster. (laughs) Divine order brings divine blessing. I so enjoy him. He just straight to the heart of the matter. So anything without a head is dead. Anything with more, more than one head is a monster. Divine order brings divine blessings. So William Googe, who was, wrote one of the very first books on home life after the Reformation. So the Re- Reformation came. They finally got the gospel straightened out. Obviously, it had always been there. But a huge Reformation of the church And then the Puritans came along, and they took the next step. So he wrote one of the very first, like, okay, now we know all the solas. Now we've got it down, but our home lives are an absolute mess. So he wrote a pastoral. um, It has a very Puritanish title. I think it's like Of Duties and Disciplines. It's got this really long title, but it's great. Um, But uh, Joel Beakey took it and he modernized the language so that we could read it in our day. Very good. It's a three-volume set. So um, he has some helpful thoughts as we try to conform our thoughts to the word of God. So when thinking of her chaste and respectful behavior, he said two things were required. These are the ones that hit me. I'm about to stomp on a black widow on your foot. Okay, okay. Number one, she needs to acknowledge her husband to be her authority. She needs to acknowledge her husband to be her authority. This one's not too bad. Most of us will say, yeah, I I, I knew that. So, but he says, the acknowledgement of this is a main and principal duty and a ground of all other duties. He's using the word duty like we would say responsibility. This is her first and primary responsibility. It's a groundwork for all her other responsibilities. Until a wife is fully instructed there and fully persuaded of it. No duty, no responsibility can be performed by her as it ought. For submission has relation to higher rank and authority. How then can submission be yielded if husbands are not acknowledged as having a higher rank? It may be forced as one king conquered in battle by another may be compelled to bow to the conqueror But yet, because he still thinks in himself that he is not a bit subordinate, he will hardly be brought willingly to yield to a subject's duty to him, but rather expect a time when he may free himself and take revenge on the conqueror. So ladies, is that how we act? Instead of acknowledging him as our authority, we might do it on the outside. We know scripture says it. 
We know scripture says we need to submit that God has created him as the head of our home, that we need to submit to his authority. But in our heart of hearts, we're just waiting for that moment where we can rise up and take revenge, take control, say, see, I told you so, right? We know enough to hide it here, but in our hearts, what are we truly like? Have we acknowledged absorbed, even love the fact that we get to submit to our authority because God has put him in that place in our own lives. And oftentimes we'll even acknowledge the truth, just that, you know, if I said wives need to submit, I have every confidence every one of you in here would say, amen, yes, you're right. Until it comes to the thought patterns and going home and actually doing it with our own husbands. Then the amens kind of quiet down, right? Myself included. It's great in theory, but it's really difficult in real life. All the, but what if? What if? What if he wants to do this and it's really not a good idea? What do I do? You preach to yourself. I am where I am because a loving God has put me here. So she not only needs to acknowledge her husband as her authority, but also, number two, she needs to respect him as her authority. So this is like a two-step process. Ground level is you just need to acknowledge it. But number two, you need to respect him as your authority. You must willingly follow your husband's leadership, says H.P. Charles. You may say, but I'm a better decision maker than my husband. Well, he says, your good decision making led you to marry a man who's not a good decision maker. (laughs) Don't look for loopholes to disobey God's word. Such a good warning. I read that and I was like, brilliant. So what does this respect look like? It's hard to find anything out in the world that's proper, true, biblical respect, right? The world delights in mocking the relationship that we should have with our husbands. And then they roll their eyeballs and say, that's impossible. Honestly, it's kind of crazy. Why would you want to do that, right? So we're left going, okay, Rach, I know I'm supposed to respect him, but what what do I do, William Googe to the rescue. Are you ready? He had some great things to say. So she needs to respect him as her authority. A on your outline, it is both inward and outward. So that's both inward and outward. We have to number one in our minds, always remember God put him in his place of authority, just like he's ordained all the other authorities. Romans 13 So we don't just put our trust solely in our husbands or submit because he quote unquote deserves it or is quote unquote wise, but we trust that the Lord can use our submission for our authority. Uh, Excuse me. (laughs) Use our submission for his glory. How about that one? Way better. (laughs) No, Shardy. Yeah, so use our submission for his glory. Have you ever been around somebody that maybe their husbands were being a little bit snippy with them and they're sweet and kind and submissive in response and you just go, wow, wow, that was crazy cool. 
I've never seen that before, right? We need to be those women showing that to our children, to those around us. We need to focus our minds on the good in our husbands, the good character qualities and things that he accomplishes, not focus on where he needs to improve. We haven't want to help by fixing him or the way he does things or fix the way he thinks. And then we get frustrated when he just won't cooperate. So William Googe says there's three areas where disrespect in the heart for our husbands come from. Number one is self-conceit. He says, by which wives esteem their own gifts too highly, thinking them so excellent that they need no guide or head, but rather they fit to guide and rule both their husbands and all their household, of which proud and presumptuous spirit Jezebel seems to have been, who with an audacious and impudent face said to Abraham, her husband, do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth. So do we suddenly in our own minds think of ourselves and be like, yeah, he's supposed to be the lead, but look, he doesn't do anything he's supposed to, not even spiritually. No matter how many times I remind him, I just... I got to do it myself. It's not going to get done unless I do it. Instead of, thank you, Lord, that you gave me this husband. Help me come alongside him to help him accomplish his goals for day, his dreams for our life, his vision for our family. It's a complete flip of what we naturally, our hearts want to go. So do you esteem Be like, but Rachel, my husband makes no sense often. Are you taking the time to understand where he's going? Or are you formulating responses in your own mind so fast you can't even stop long enough to say, okay, explain it to me again, honey. How do you want that done? How do you want to go? What do you want to do? Are you stopping yourself and going, am I being so conceited that my way's right, my way's the best? And it can be silly things, like that list I read you, the way you fold towels, where you throw your socks, how you put silverware in the dishwasher. I I said that last semester. It cracked me up how many gals were like, oh, yeah, that's in my home. Does it really matter? Or can we be thankful that silverware got into the dishwasher? And if it doesn't get into the dishwasher, are we thankful we have silverware? And are we thankful that the silverware is dirty because we had food to eat to make them dirty? Do you see how that works? Simplistic and yet hard to put into everyday life, right? Okay, so self-conceit. Number two, maybe he has some weakness of mind, body, or life, and we know it about our husbands, but the rest of the world doesn't. So... That might breed disrespect in your own heart. You know things about your husband or people in your family that I'll never know. I know things about my husband that you'll never know. We can't let it silently brood in our own hearts of, see, nobody else knows it, but I see that. And that instant scorn on him breeds and 
if it hurts, a lot of times that'll sow that root of bitterness faster than anything else. Number three, worst of all, this is worst of all, he says. This is William Gooch talking. From unjust assumptions and suspicions, suspecting many evil things of their husbands, of which they're in no way guilty, and misinterpreting good things. How many times have you done this? Your husband says something or does something as he's leaving or before he leaves or he says some comment, and man, you just brew on it. I do this. Washing the dishes, simmering. And I have exhibits A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, all cataloged, ready to go. He comes home and I let loose. And he's going, I, 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 I just got home. And then come to find out, he didn't even mean what I thought he meant by what he said. Because I totally took it out of context, misstrewed it. I already had a suspicious mind towards him. So therefore, of course, it meant what I thought it meant. That's wickedness. We're assuming we're taking the place of God, thinking we know his thoughts even better than he knows his thoughts. If he says that's not how he is thinking, we need to trust him. Jane Austen in Pride and Prejudice, I feel like, really displayed this very beautifully in a little back and forth between Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth. Mr. Darcy says, there is, I believe, in every disposition a tendency to some particular evil, a natural defect, which not even the best education can overcome. Elizabeth fires back, and your defect is a propensity to hate everybody. And yours, he replied with a smile, is to willfully misunderstand them. So I just thought that's so poignant. How many times are we convinced we know the truth of the matter? Because somebody made an offhanded comment and then come to find out we totally made assumptions, jumped to conclusions, and then came out the way wrong side. We've got to squish that pride, kill that pride within us that we think we know what's going on in the world. We don't. Wives need to consider their own weaknesses and not look to their husbands with assumptions of evil, William says, but interpret everything in the best light. Follow the rule of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Ladies, 1 Corinthians 13 is just not for cute decorations on your wedding day. It's for every day of your marriage and every day of your life, pouring out to each other here, pouring out at home. If you are not familiar with that whole list and what each of those things I just said, it is a worthy, worthy thing to go home and study 1 Corinthians 13. If you're like, Rachel, I've, I've got a problem with contentiousness. What do I do? Put off the contention, but put in its place true biblical love. Be on your outlines. So um, not only A, it's inward and outward, but B, she cares about how she can please him. Very vital. She cares about how she can please him. She's careful with her speech and gestures towards him. Ladies, we might stay silent, but nonverbal communication can speak louder than actual words. I can say, okay. I said, okay. 
but what did I communicate? Not okay. Do you cheerfully greet him when he comes home at the end of a long day? Margaret Smith's amazing at this. I've been at her house. She has seven kids. Most of them are gone now. But when they were younger and I was over there, you know, it's a whirlish girly gig at their house. People are coming and they're going. And it didn't matter if Andy hit the door, she would stop everything, walk over and hello, love, and give him a hug and a kiss. And they would talk for a second. As the whirly gig still is going on around them. Beautiful. That's what I'm talking about. I still fail in this all the time, but I'm still going for the goal. So join me. Does he always feel welcome in your presence at all times? Or is there a subtle air of annoyance when he comes around? Are you just polite and use manners in your everyday communication with him? Like, please, thank you. Or are those, have those been gone for a while? If you are strong-natured, are you putting your gentleness armor on every day? Keeping that strength under self-control for the purpose of glorifying our God. Ladies, sometimes it's helpful. I, I ask myself, we don't tell them what to do. Ask, ask, not tell, don't tell them what to do, but ask what he would like to see done that day. For some of you, that just struck fear in your bottom of your soul. But don't tell him what to do. Ask. What would you like to see done today, honey? Is there anything that's, that's bothering you? Is there any task that's bothering you that I can help you with? We'll speak volumes. When you're, when you're talking to him, it's very helpful that tucking under, the submission, tucking under, to ask questions instead of making statements. So William Gooch says, contrary to this gentleness is a frowning brow, a lowering eye, a sullen look, a pouting lip, an angry face, an insulting mouth, a scornful motion of the arms and hands, a disdainful turning of this side and that side of the body, and a fretful rushing out of her husband's presence. All these and other similar contemptuous gestures are as thick clouds overspreading the heavens in a summer's day, which make life very uncomfortable. They often stir up much passion in the man, meaning much angst, and bring much trouble upon the wife herself. And ladies, this is back in the 1600s. We always think everything's like rosy and it's fine and they were amazing and they were just these quiet little meek little mouses doing whatever... Here's a pastor saying, this is what it's like. It is amazing to me you start touching on the home life. It's the same today as it was 500 years ago. The sin is the same, and the need to deal with that sin is the same. Let's keep going on uh, 1 Peter 3 and 4. Your adornment must not merely be external, braiding of the hair, wearing the gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Ladies, is there anything better than scripture saying that something we have is precious to God? And yet so many times we sneer at this passage because we don't want to be gentle and quiet, and maybe we don't even understand what this means. So let's break that down a little bit. This doesn't mean personality. This doesn't mean those different things that we often think it means. Gentle there. We studied it last semester. 
Chris's definition, the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to humbly and graciously exercise God's power in just the necessary measure to accomplish his purposes. And then meek, humble, not creating disturbances. So um, in Old English, it's, it's King James, it's meek and quiet. Meek is not creating those disturbances. You are not the emotional vortex going around and swirling all of life into a crazy mess. You're gentle. Your words are gracious. And then that quiet, I found this very helpful. It's bearing with tranquility, with peace, the disturbances caused by others. So if somebody else is being the emotional vortex, you're not getting caught up with it. You're remaining at peace because your trust is in the Lord. So as we're, we're meek, we're quiet. Also that peacemaker, one who delights in exerting maximum effort to bring reconciliation between opposing parties as a demonstration of the character and nature of God. And sometimes those opposing parties that need to be brought together, ladies, is us and somebody else. And we need to bring that forward. So Carl said, this is not a call to cower or only bow to the authority above you. This is not a call to silence those under authority, but a call for them to speak with wisdom and with grace. So what's a girl to do, ladies? How do we get from being that contentious wife to one that's submissive, doing him good all her days, having that gentle and quiet spirit that is so precious to God? We want to take those warnings to the wise, not to have our homes resemble the disturbing descriptions we see in Proverbs and be delightfully different as we see the virtuous woman and here in 1 Peter. So we need to Go through the apply the gospel, depend on the Holy Spirit, recognize your responsibility, identify specific respectable sins, memorize and apply appropriate scriptures. Join my battle cry, do him good all my days. Cultivate the practice of prayer, involve one or other believers with you. So Carl Townsend has some parting words for us. Don't complain and argue. Don't be contentious. Instead, Trust the Lord Jesus Christ and the work he is doing in you. Trust that he has put you in this situation. Trust the order he has established in this world. Trust his grace that he does love you and is working for your good. And when you trust, you will find that he is glorified. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would do a mighty work in us that, Lord, we would fight against the uh, norms of our culture, the selfish desires of our own heart, that we would fight against this unrighteous anger within us, that instead of it, we would put on your love, that that love would pour out to others and that we would bring great glory to your name. We thank you for how you're going to work. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen.